I don't know about you, but I, I'm getting tired, tired of getting up in the morning and turning on the news or hearing on the way in here to work of the latest tragedy. This week again, Monday, I'd worked on this passage on, on Sunday. I've been working on it uh, some up until now. And I, I see on the news the, the shootings in Las Vegas. And it's so wearisome, isn't it? And then for that day, and day after day after day, we see it and hear it again and again. And if it's not that, it's the next hurricane. The hurricane that has wiped out a whole island in terms of their infrastructure. We thought we had it bad here in the States when the hurricanes came through. But in our territory of Puerto Rico, unbelievable devastation. And here we are again. What will be next? It'll be something. This week, today, sometime during the week, and for some of you, as big as these things are that I just mentioned, they are completely overshadowed by what you're going through. Understandably so. You might not even have the energy to turn on the news because of what you're dealing with in your life. If Habakkuk were here today, these are things he would be saying. And so that's the backdrop of this most honest book where we see Habakkuk asking the questions the questions that sometimes people of faith are afraid to say out loud, even when you have them inside. And so how do we handle it? That's what this book is going to tell us. And you know, it... As I have looked, and I'm, I'm using a number of different uh, excellent commentaries and resources on this. But what, what struck me was that all of them, some of them are on the newer side, and some of them are, are pretty old commentaries. One of them, in talking about what we'll be talking about next week with the uh, the Chaldeans and the, the, you know, the Babylonians taking over and so on, one of them said, it's like the Nazis or the communists. 
This is so up to date. That's what he was saying. So you can tell that that was a number of years back. And so here's the point. Down through the centuries, people have always said this is a contemporary book. This is right where we are today. Now, it feels like to me, I don't know about you, but it feels like there is more oppression. There is, in our country at least, more uh, acts of violence than we're used to, more corruption out there and accusation of corruption. And yet, if the Lord tarries and doesn't come back for a while, the next generation will say how contemporary Habakkuk is to them. I'm convinced of that. So let's give our attention. We're just going to look at the first four verses this week. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence! And you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So, The law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Oh, Lord, will you... Today, show us that you are that same merciful God that heard these cries from Habakkuk and from those before him and those after him that have asked these same questions or wanted to ask them or wanted to shout them. Thank you, Lord, for recording this, for showing us that you can handle it. Will you teach us today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just by way of background, and we will fill in the background and some of the things that were going on as the the weeks go on, but... Uh, It begins the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Uh, An oracle is uh, a divinely given message. But that same word uh, could be translated burden. And I have to think, in this case, here, that might be a good translation it was that when Nahum 
uh, used it to characterize his message about the doom of, on Nineveh. But Habakkuk was also going to have to deal with basically bearing bad news to the people that he was the prophet for. So God is giving him this, this oracle that he's giving him is indeed a, a burden. Most believe, and we're not going to worry about dates. You can look those up in your study Bible or something if, if you're the kind that likes dates. Um, but, uh, and there's a lot of general agreement on uh, the time. But what was going on, most believe that he lived in the time after the fall of the northern kingdom. Uh, after the, uh, he saw Nineveh fall, just like Nahum prophesied. And before the Babylonians rose to take over and uh, take captive the southern kingdom, which is where he is. And uh, God tells him, this is going to happen. That's what he's uh, going to be saying to him. Now, he was dealing with <clears throat> basically two enemies here. You have the external enemy. They had seen the northern kingdom fall. And uh, many of them would have considered that as a judgment on the northern kingdom because of their behavior and being far from God and so on. And yet, those in the southern kingdom didn't seem to take notice. It wasn't affecting them in terms of their behavior. And so you have this external threat to the people, but there was also the internal threat among God's people, where they were, they were ignoring his law. They weren't acting like God's people. They didn't want to hear from God. Or of, and they, they were unwilling to think about the impending doom upon them. Prophet's name is Habakkuk. It's only mentioned here and in 3.1. And we don't really have any other clues uh, about him, although the word itself means um, an embracer. Not, not so much in, uh, in any way other than to comfort. And uh, that, that seems to be uh, his name. He's called a prophet. And the reason that's important is because <clears throat> that's telling us, look, this message isn't from some some dude, some guy, this is, this is a message from God. And he's relaying it. Now, this tends to be different than the other prophets, the, uh, the uh, larger prophetic books, which are usually called the major prophets, and the smaller ones, usually called the minor prophets, not because they're less important, they're just uh, shorter uh, in terms of their their length. And so, um, in this one, it's just very personal. And it's almost like we're eavesdropping. Now, this message is for the people there, and it's for us, but we're listening in on this dialogue between Habakkuk and God. So, let's get to the, the struggle. Um, and you heard how I read it, deliberately, but 
before we get into actually what he says, I want us to understand where these questions were coming from. Uh, if you look in chapter 1, verse 13, which I didn't read earlier, Habakkuk says this, and he's saying what he knows about God. You who are purer, of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at, at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up? Now, that's in his second batch of questions, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks. But here's what I want you to, to notice here. Habakkuk is acknowledging God's sovereignty. He's acknowledging his purity, his justice. And it's precisely because of how he understands God that he's struggling with what's going on around him. So, Here's what we need to get out of this. There is a way for a person of faith to try to, for a Christian, for a follower of Christ, to honestly grapple with what's going on around them in the world without it being disrespectful of God, without it being uh, from an unbeliever's perspective. And that's what I believe he was doing. He, he acknowledges, see, his big issue is not just what's going on around him, but he, as he looks around, he's saying there's craziness going on around me. But he couldn't figure out how all of this is going on because I know, God, you are just and you are pure and you're merciful. So I can't put those two things together. I think it's an honest inquiry. And I think that shows us also that that can be done. And so if you're, if you're grappling with something, it, it, it's not, it's not from coming from an unbelieving perspective to say, God, I, I don't get this. I know you're good. I know you love me, but I don't understand what's going on out there or around me. And so that's the kind of questions. Uh, think about that when we see actually what he asked, that uh, you know, this wasn't from a perspective. Like in our world, when someone asks these questions, the implication is, well, either he's not powerful enough to do anything about it, or he just doesn't care, or he's not loving. See, they're making that assumption, then they're saying, why is this going on? That's not where Habakkuk's coming from. And I think it's a great example of how uh, God shows us we can grapple with him. And look, here, when, when somebody comes in my study and they say, you know, I, got, I have these questions of, about God, and I, I usually say something like, well, you know what? He understands you have these questions. How do you know he understands? Well, because I understand why you would have those questions, and he's a whole lot more understanding than I am. 
He's big enough to handle your questions. And that's what we need to understand as we, as we get into this book. So let's look at, at the questions. The first one is, how long? Oh Lord, verse 2, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? So when he says how long, it, it seems to indicate this isn't some new event he's concerned about. But it's something that's been going on for a period of time. And he has probably been faithful in, in, in praying about it. Because, uh, you know, he's wondering, this, is, this seems to keep going on. So he's looking over a long period of time of injustice or suffering, crime, sin. And he had been crying out to God. And so finally he gets to the point of saying, how long do I have to do this? Don't you hear me? Really? You don't seem to be hearing me. Now, by the way, the only way he's judging that by is that God hasn't answered it the way he wanted him to. And I'll just, I'll just give you a little hint. He's not going to like his next answer. Next week we will see that. But at this point, he's just saying, you know, how, how long is this going to go on? It, and this is, this is like, and some of you I know can relate to this. Some of you who over and over again have asked God to overcome a sin or who have pleaded with God over and over again for someone you love to come to Christ or have asked God to restore your marriage or heal someone or for a job or to get into a school and on and on and on. In all of these cases, you cannot imagine why you're not hearing anything or why he seems to be saying no. You can even make an argument. You can say, God, if you said yes to this, it would glorify you. Why don't you seem to be hearing this? And so... Habakkuk is just grappling with that. How long? And that's where he is. He's not the first or, at, or last to ask how long. David did it. Job did it. Jonah did it. In fact, you might not have ever done it out loud, but everyone in this room has felt that one way or another. How long? And you don't seem to be hearing me. Now, if you're shocked by Habakkuk asking that, uh, it may be because you're projecting on him the way most people ask that question. And it, it tends to be from a faithless perspective where people are saying he's not sovereign. But we've already seen that's not where he's coming from. He says, You are sovereign, you are pure. That's why I don't get, I can't put these two things together. So I'm convinced it's a genuine question for understanding. But it's also a question 
if you ask that question in, in Habakkuk's way, you're basically saying, look, I know you're not an arbitrary God. You're not just kind of letting things happen, and I know things aren't out of control. So he's making that presumption. He's just saying, help me understand this. How long? And then he talks about the violence. It's interesting, that word uh, translated violence is the word Hamas. That sound familiar? That is the name of the Palestinian fundamentalist Islamic terrorist organization. And they got their name from uh, an Arabic phrase. It's an acronym for a phrase. But it's the same, the same basic word. The word here, uh, this violence, is used for civil or military oppression and so the question comes, how long is this going to keep going on? And then he gets to the next logical question. Why couldn't you, um, you know, why is this happening? Look at verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? See, this is projecting behavior on him. He's assuming because he doesn't, he doesn't see action that God is being idle. Understandable. That's all he can see. Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So here's, here's what he's asking. Why is there sin everywhere? Why couldn't you just get rid of it? Some translate uh, iniquity there as injustice, and that's, that's an okay translation. Injustice would be sin against others, and it can easily involve oppression. He's saying, why is, why is this going on? He's asking, uh, he's saying, I, I know you see the wrong and injustice everywhere. Why don't you address it? When he says, why, do you, uh, why are you idle? in this. So Habakkuk not only has the problem that God is letting it exist, that's the first problem, but if you're going to let it exist, uh, how can you let it go unpunished? And then he uses uh, four words, and they're, they're basic, they, they can be synonyms. Some make a lot of, you know, that they're, some are more public and more private, but, but they're all in the same camp. Destruction and violence, and those words are often found together, and they're often parallel with the next two. Strife and contention, and strife tends to be between neighbors in the courts and that kind of thing. And he's showing how upset he is by building all these synonyms on there. He says, look, everywhere I look, there's something. There's strife, there's contention, there's violence, there's iniquity, and you're just letting it go. And then comes his complaint in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth, for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth 
perverted. He is saying that things are so bad that the law itself that is supposed to restrain evil and it's supposed to restrain evil people, he's saying that law is just neutralized. It is numbed. It's frozen. It's just not working. There are um, some places over in Europe, you've heard about them, in various countries, uh, usually in an inner city that uh, some are calling no-go zones. And uh, there's a lot of debate about whether they're really official and law enforcement is saying, don't go in there. They've just given it over to them or whether it's just so dangerous that they're hesitant to go in. But they've dubbed these areas, sometimes pretty good-sized areas, they've dubbed them no-go zones where uh, what's going on in there is not the law of the land but some other law. And it's like Habakkuk is, is saying, you know what, God, it's like our world You've just taken your hands off, and we're in a no-go zone. Your law doesn't seem to apply here. Again, I'll just give you a peek ahead and let you know that God's going to answer him, but it's going to further confuse him. So um, we're not going to wrap all this up today or next week, but we're going to be going through this dialogue with him. But I'm not going to leave us here with, with this. I, we're going to fast forward to ultimately what the answer is going to be. I don't mind giving this away. In Habakkuk 2.4, it says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. That's where we're going to end up. In the middle of living in a dysfunctional world, it is still living by faith. They, these people in Habakkuk, have promises for the future, but they're living in a time where those promises have not been fulfilled, and so do we. They're living in the gap between the promise that was given and the fulfillment, and Habakkuk's going to help us see how to negotiate, how to live in this time. We are good, I think, at, at knowing you, you're saved by faith. I, I think, you know, we talk about that all the time. We're sometimes not as good at practicing the fact that we've got to live every minute of our life by faith. It's not just back when we were saved. If we're going to survive in this world and still trust God, it's got to be living by faith. Faith in who God is and what he has done. 
and you're going to hear me say this a lot during Habakkuk, instead of judging God by looking at our circumstances or the circumstances in our world, we must judge our circumstances by what we know of God. Instead of judging God by looking at our circumstances, we must judge our circumstances by what we know of God. Here's what we know. He is loving and just. He has a plan, and he always does what's best for his children, whether it looks like it to our finite eyes or not. And this table reminds us of that. This table reminds us of the death of Christ. If someone looked at Christ hanging on the cross, the only thing they could interpret from, if they're interpreting by the circumstances, is he lost. He failed. That was Friday. But things changed on Sunday when he burst out of the tomb. Everything changed at that point. But there was Friday and then there was Saturday. And it still looked like he failed. It still looked like those promises will not be fulfilled. And so, friends, we're living on Saturday right now. We're at that in-between time from when the promises were made to when they will be gloriously fulfilled. And until that time, we must walk by faith. May this table strengthen our faith. Let's bow together. Lord, as we look around, we it's almost as if Habakkuk took the words right out of our mouth. But thank you that you don't leave him in the, in the despair that he was feeling in those first four verses, and you're not going to leave us there either. Lord, in these moments, will you strengthen us? We absolutely need that. If we are to survive in this in-between time, and so we ask for this in Jesus' precious name, Amen.